Welcome to Coloring the Melody. I'm Nora. And I'm Darlene. And we are two female music teachers of color discussing the realities of life and aiming to break the norm in education. Our mission with this podcast is to contribute a different voice in topics such as music, education, faith, and multiculturalism. So sit back and enjoy! Hello everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 5. We will be speaking to Katie Norgard. We are so honored to have her here. Katie Norgard, better known as at Miss Katie Sings on Instagram and TikTok, is a songwriter, music teacher, and filmmaker based in Chicago, Illinois. Her work in creating songs and videos for children online have spread throughout the internet. Through her music, she promotes social and emotional learning, tenderness, and justice. In addition to content creation, Katie teaches virtual music classes to children across the United States. Now, let's hear our conversation with Katie. Hello, everybody. We are so excited to have Miss Katie with us. Hi, Katie. Thank you for coming to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, Katie. So we are going to play a little game, and it's called Would You Rather? Are you excited? (laughs) I am. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to know, would you rather have more time or more money? Oh, more time. Absolutely. I mean, I know those things are connected, but... Um, but yes, more time, always so much more that I want to do and experience. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Darlene, how about you? Do you have one? Oh yeah, sure. Would you rather go somewhere cold and wintry or hot and humid? Hot and humid for sure. I'm, I live in Chicago, so we get the cold and wintry all the time. (laughs) How about in the summertime? Isn't it more on the humid side there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful in the summer, but I would I would definitely take more of that throughout the year. <laughs> cool, cool. Okay, I have another one. Would you rather explore space or the ocean? Ooh, the ocean. I just think there's more happening, like the fact that there are different animals and there's like you know, all the all the things that are alive underwater would just be a fascinating place to be. Oh, I love that. That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you, Katie. I love that. Um, Okay, so we're going to transition now to some questions that we want to know about you because you are our special guest. (laughs) So tell us about your identity, like a story of your culture, how you got into music and music education. Yeah, so... I am um, a biracial Asian American woman. I grew up in Chicago. My mom is from Taiwan and she immigrated um, when she was in her 20s. And I grew up in many ways as like the bridge um, within my own household and within my community um, in that I I definitely had these, these two different cultures that I was growing up in. Um, and even the the town that I grew up in was predominantly white, but the community that I was a part of was predominantly Asian. So almost all my friends and um, my family attends a church and our church was a Chinese church. And um, so I have 
had a very sort of com complex uh, experience with like my identity and um, and how I feel like I fit in this world. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I think part of music came also out of that upbringing and that even that religious background too, because I started to sing and play music at church at a really young age. And I think that gave me that sense of uh, like freedom to, to lead or try new things or like pick up an instrument and jump in the band and uh, all those different like ways of, of getting to experience music in a very hands-on way with others in community, um, which has really set me up for a lot of what I do now. That's awesome, Katie. Um, I like what you said about how being in the church, you were led to pick up these different instruments. So I have two younger brothers and they had never taken private music lessons or did music at school. But for my middle brother, it was because of the church that led him to pick up the bass because they, they needed a bass player. So he thought, well, I'll just learn the bass. And then one day they were like, okay, we need someone on the ook. So then here he was learning the ukulele. Totally. So I feel like, yeah, the especially um, the church has played a significant role in shaping other people's music training. And sometimes we can kind of forget that too mm -hmm. so yeah Nora and I talk about how you know the church has also really influenced how we do music as well yeah absolutely I can't tell you the amount of times that I have learned how to play drums five minutes before a service and then forgotten it somehow and then just be like it's okay just jump on over the you know and I think that like even that faith in we just want you to be a part of this and and I mean so the church community that I grew up in was very small um and there's a lot less pressure to, to be, I, I don't know, it, like there was a, there was just a little bit more space to come in with different abilities and different levels of knowledge of music. And, and just to give a little bit more of my background, I, so I am not actually formally trained in almost any instrument. And so a lot of how I came into the space was through just sort of hands-on experience. Wow. I, I love that. Honestly, because, well, first, I love that you said you play drums because I also play drums. <laughs> that was actually my first instrument. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's great. That's cool. And and also another thing that we have in common, I started without knowing how to read music. And it wasn't until when I went to high school that one of my uh, one of my teachers was like, Nora, um, can you please read this? And I was like, oh, like, no, just. <laughs> And so I would just play it for me. <laughs> yeah. I'll pick it up once. Like once I hear it, then I just like play it. So then he's like, no, Nora, it's great that you have a, a good musician ear, but you also need to know how to read music. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess that makes sense. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's when I started to take it more um, serious and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, Darlene, I know you wanted to ask her uh, the next question. What are you bringing up? <laughs> yeah, let's transition into this. So just watching your videos, Katie, and just seeing, you know, the tenderness that comes out and the gentleness that comes out and just radiating from your videos. I know you've mentioned that Mr. Rogers is one of your inspirations. So mm -hmm. how does his teaching stand out to you compared to other children's programs today? Yeah, I... I love Mr. Rogers. I mean, he is such a North Star for my work. Um, and I think part of it, you know, we're all familiar with his pace and just his way of being very slow. 
um, with children. And that is so refreshing, even now compared to um, sometimes we feel like we have to fight to get children's attention. Um, and we need to kind of yell for them to listen instead of thinking about what a whisper might do or what silence might do um, instead. And so I, I've always looked up to his work. I think, you know, he would have minutes where he would just be like feeding a fish and just like watching things happen. Um, and it was all very intentional, but I think he had a certain level of trust in children that they could appreciate this, that he didn't have to change too much about what he was doing for them to care um, and that there's something that would still draw them in. So I, I love that. And I think there is something too about him being an adult who is just showing neighborly signs of care because in a lot of the kids programming that I see, it's, it's wonderful. They're seeing, you know, characters that are young children interacting with each other. And I think that's so important and beautiful, but there is something too about having adult role models that are showing how to be in this world um, for kids to feel like nurtured and loved and respected. And then also to have someone to look up to and want to emulate. And I think I, I am drawn to that and hope to do that with my work as well. <laughs> and I also just really appreciate the topics that he brings up in his videos. He wasn't afraid to talk about things that were maybe more controversial, but he did it in a way that was still developmentally appropriate. Um, but I, I think we so often feel like our program, programming needs to shield children from things that are going on or things that they may be experiencing. And so um, him just being bold enough to address certain topics and to to acknowledge that they know more than people give them credit for um, is something that I find really important. I love that perspective about how children actually do know a lot and they bring in a wealth of knowledge. I think a lot of not just teachers, but even some grown-ups think, oh, they're just children. They don't they don't know any better. Mm. But children absorb everything around them, and then they start to form their opinions Absolutely. on things because um, they're they're still humans, just like us. Just because they don't, you know, know how to do long division doesn't mean they can, you know, create an opinion on something. Mm. So I love that that mindset of seeing children as already holding a lot of information with them. Yes, and something that stood out to me when, is when you said that that Mr. Rogers provided like a very slow-paced learning environment, and I see a lot of kids' shows currently that are just so fast-paced, and I feel like it's, it's good because we do live in a very busy society, but at the same time, it doesn't give the kids time to really process, and um, so one thing when watching your videos, you are just so calm, this peaceful demeanor that you just like engage even an adult. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, I just want to continue to encourage you because you are going to influence so many kids. And whenever I have kids, I will have <laughs> some with you. <laughs> Thank you. That's so nice. Yes. But um, 
You had one TikTok video that said you never thought that you would be a children's musician. So tell us that journey and how you ended up doing preschool and kindergarten in music or music classes. Yeah. So I, I'm someone who I've always loved working with kids and I've worked with them in so many different capacities growing up, whether that was, um, you know, teaching children at my church growing up or nannying. Um, I used to run after school programs, worked in schools and in other local programming. So I, I've always loved working with kids and I've always loved music. And I focused a lot on singer songwriter, indie folk music that wasn't specifically for children. Um, and a lot of people would say, why don't you put those things together? And I was always really hesitant to do so because I didn't know I really had a hard time believing that kids these days could enjoy that slow pace that I did with Mr. Rogers. I just feel like, you know, our kids these days, like so different, they're so used to a lot more stimulation. Um, I don't know if they want slow indie folk music. And, and so I really, yeah, I shied away from that because anytime I try to play something that was very different that was more of what I thought they wanted. It didn't feel true to me and it didn't feel as fun. Um, but I started to teach family music classes at this school in Chicago and I really loved it. And I was surprised that the kids were, were interested, um, but it really all took off when I started my own like, virtual music classes and making these videos um, at the start of the pandemic. And that has led me into I mean, it, it's been such a wild ride, but basically doing that and creating content online has let a lot of people learn about me. Um, and, you know, schools have reached out to be like, oh, would you want to do some virtual programming with our kids? Or um, I started to run my own virtual music classes. And that has brought me into the education space in a much larger way. And I don't know if I would have really been able to access it had I not created content online for people to almost see as like a resume or a CV, which that wasn't the intention. Yeah, it's wild to think that putting our stuff online creates such an opportunity. And I think for some people, it's like, you know, I just put online just because to show friends and family. But then you just also never know how you know, word can travel and people always reshare. Like, I remember, Katie, when, um, I forget what video, but I first saw it. I don't even remember. My brain is just going blank. But, um, but it was just like, oh, this is a really cool video. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, blew up. And then more and more people started finding you. And here I am, like, like almost like a mom going, oh, my goodness, I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of other people finding her content. <laughs> That's so sweet. Katie, this is a fun fact. I remember Darlene. She was she actually introduced me to you, and she is a fan girl. Okay, she she <laughs> won't say it, but she was like, "Oh my gosh, Miss Katie's amazing." Did you see the Amanda Gorman? We should do a lesson. And I was like, "Oh, you know what? That's great." Oh, I love Katie. <laughs> oh, so, so then, and then after that, we just been following you and stuff. So I don't know. You you're just so amazing. So, and then also, I do recall like one night. Um, by the way, Darlene is like an amazing friend. So I had to defend a dissertation, mm -hmm. and she stayed with me till three thirty. AM. Oh. Okay. 
wow. and she was like looking at some videos that you posted too. She's like, I'm like, you know what? We should just like, let's ask her to come and talk to her in our podcast. And she's like, yeah, let's do that. Can we? And I'm like, of course. That is so sweet. Thank you. I, I feel so, I feel so grateful that a lot of people have connected with my work and really resonated. And I just like, I feel like I'm learning so much and from both of you and from so many other people in this space, it's like, it's been incredible to, to come into this community. Cause I, I, I feel very new to it. I feel new to um, not just the online space for educators, but kind of the education world in general, truthfully. And so um, I just, I feel very lucky that that there is this like mutually beneficial type of dynamic that, that can happen because we're all sort of learning from each other. Yeah, exactly. And just by from looking at your content, I would just be inspired to, and I think like that uh, song about Amanda Gorman, I'm thinking this is perfect. Like I can totally mm-hmm. tie this directly to what I'm doing in the classroom. I even had one um, adult who was in one of my kindergarten music classes say like I'm so glad you did this song it's it's actually relevant and I'm like it's not I didn't come up with this song <laughs> but I, but I chose to do it because I was so inspired by what Katie was doing that's mm. what that's what I love about you know your songs it's not just oh everybody we're gonna count our toes mm-hmm. one to ten which is you know some children's songs are like but then you also tie it to you know deeper things in that like for example you talk about how social and emotional learning and equity are a large focus in your music so was there a significant moment or moments in your life that has led you to create music with that lens yeah I I think it's it's actually been kind of a funny journey because I feel like my process for that was sort of backwards I mean at least in terms of what other people kind of traditionally how they move into that um, space or into that focus. For me, it was as an adult, really unpacking a lot of social emotional learning for myself and with my friends um, and just seeing how much is traced to our younger selves. And then also even like watching Mr. Rogers as an adult and feeling so moved. I mean, the first time I rewatched Mr. Rogers, um, I like, I bawled. I was just crying the whole time. And I'm like, what is it about the way he's talking? What is it like activating in me? And it was something about my inner child. It's something about the things that I want to be told and that feeling of like safety and love and, and being embraced um, that I thought was so important and so beautiful. And so I think for, for me, it was really like, I and recognizing there are things that adults are needing to learn or like reparent themselves or whatever it is, um, doing this inner work that has come a lot out of childhood. And how do we go back or like, how do we now go to young people and recognize like, um, we wanna make sure they have the tools to know how to self-regulate, how to talk about their emotions, how to, think about these things. I mean, not just how they think about things, but like give them space to know, like you're welcome to express a range of feelings and like what are healthy ways we can do that. Um, So it's really come from that kind of sort of from that perspective that I've become really invested in that for children. Yeah, I agree. Like I think it also ties back to 
what we talked about with our children caring so much, but even though they have all this information, they still need guidance on how to identify their emotions and how to respond rather than react. And that's what social and emotional learning, aka SCL, is all about. Um, I was having a conversation with another teacher who was saying that when she works with other teachers, teachers who have been in the game for for a while, they're just like, SEL, like, I don't need this, I don't need to do this. And I think, is it just because it's another thing to do? Are people just super comfortable doing what they've always done? But then it's really ironic because sometimes the same teachers who think, oh, I don't want to do SEL are the ones who are complaining every day about their students, at least from my experience encountering different teachers. Uh, yeah. So um, in regards to equity and then you know, there are so many different layers to what that means, but your some of your recent content mm-hmm. has sort of indirectly addressed what has been going on recently. And so being as a fellow, fellow Filipina and you being part Taiwanese, we just want to carve out some space to acknowledge the, the rise of Asian hate in the United States. And so just kind of like a quick check in. How are you doing with um, all this news? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I think because of how I have been creating content for children, I uh, sometimes when when things are happening, I mean, things are always happening, but when there are current events that are really coming to light in a large way, I feel this pull to like create something for children, something that addresses this, something to be a resource for teachers and parents who are stuck not knowing what to say. And so I think when, um, especially after the Atlanta shootings, I my first instinct was like, what are we going to say to kids? Like, how are we going to talk about this? And I I went to film this video and I, just to, to make a video addressing anti-Asian hate. And while I was in the middle of I think all the adrenaline was going that only until I was really presencing myself and talking to the camera is like when I started to bawl about this. Like, I don't think I had given myself this space to really to feel it in a big way. And I had to stop filming. And then, or at first I was like, this is okay. Let's show children how we're feeling our emotions. But I was like crying a lot. And I was like, this is almost becoming um, a distraction from what I'm trying to say. I don't want children to be like, this is bad because it makes Miss Katie sad. I want them to be like, this is bad because it's bad. And of course we we have all these feelings around it, but like, anyway, and I, I try to refilm it a few times, but I think that is what really made it hit. And there is also, of course, the like, trying to push against the, all the like white supremacy sort of, like even the, the desire or the need to like create content quickly or to do something to respond and be like, I need to take care of myself and I need to check in with my family and my friends. Um, and so I, yeah, have been trying to like take moments to just be like, I'm gonna just be. Yeah, how about you? I mean, at first it was more like disbelief um, but I do agree with you with the whole um, t- 
tenet of white supremacy culture, which is sense of urgency, um, because I was definitely mm. seeing that immediately in music education spaces. So the news of the Atlanta shootings would come out and the next day people were asking, okay, so like I need a Filipino folk song or like mm. I need to teach a Japanese song. And I'm going like, that's great ish. Um, but how come it just kind of comes off as, okay, people yeah. are seeing trauma and tragedy as a reason to quote unquote, finally uplift the Asian community and to think that it took something for that. Mm. And instead of, I guess, like carving out the space to say, like, this is not okay. Mm. People think, oh, well, the solution is just to, you know, teach that one song in Chinese that I was going to teach in May. Um, so I think when I was seeing mm-hmm. that, I needed to also give myself some space and not feel mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to make a statement, <laughs> you know, like one of those like AAPI, stop, hashtag stop Asian hate statements um, and not follow through with action. I just needed to give my myself some space to grieve. Um, but it was very interesting to also see in some spaces how the same people who Mm. were very active in the Black Lives Matter movement that happened last summer, um, they were just completely silent around this. And I thought, that's very interesting. And I had a conversation, more like a DM conversation, (laughs) because, you know, the Instagram community is great. I had Mm. a DM conversation with somebody on how, like, sometimes uplifting one people group can mm-hmm. seem more of a trend than another. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting to kind of go through that process and I can already see the news cycle kind of like, okay, on to the next thing to focus on. And so now it's more about trying to be sustainable, still trying to say like, hey, this is not okay, we denounce it, um, but also, I remember I remember when it first started happening that people were going into my DMs and asking, okay, like, so what do you think of this? I'm going like, this is not the time for me <laughs> to give you resources. Um, and there's, it's a little bit tricky because then you want to give grace to the other person because they have good intention, but you also want to say, yeah. hey, like, this is actually not okay. Please do not do this. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a lot. I remember that week I just didn't teach any of my lessons because I was supposed, I was planning to do some lessons on uplifting women that week, but I thought I can't even talk about celebrating women when women were murdered in Atlanta. It was just like, I couldn't do it. So I just went with like a a game and I, I was just like, I just need to survive. And I think that's a thing that we need to realize, especially for people who are not Asian is that there will there are people who just need that space to kind of grieve um, and just process everything. So yeah, thank you for asking that. Well, I have to say that I am thankful and also humble that we have created this safe space for both of you to just be vulnerable and open up how you guys have been feeling in this season of of what your community is going through. And um, I, I feel like it's it's not about how you guys had mentioned. It's not about like, oh, okay, like 
what race is next? What race can we uplift? Like, no, it's not about that. It's like stepping back and being sensitive in what each culture is going through. And I, I don't know, like for me, I like, for instance, like seeing all the kids crossing from from di- from Latin America to over here and them just being stuck in cages. Like, you know, it's like, it, it's hurtful. And it's just like, what, like that takes us back to, being empathetic with every person like you don't know what they're going through but this is not like a I think it's a we thing if if Miss Katie is hurting if Miss Starlene is hurting I'm hurting with them like we have to just create that safe space for one another so Katie as a non-Asian American fellow like what can non-Asian educators do in response um, for what is going um, in order for it to continue to be sustainable Yeah, so I, when I think about, I mean, most of the ages that I teach are preschool is my my main, my main group, preschool and kindergarten, and then also even a little bit younger. Um, and so, I mean, similar to, to kind of what, what Darlene was saying, it's like, if the first time you're talking to your students about Asian Americans is because you're saying that they're being oppressed and they're being killed and that there's all this hate like that is just such a that's such a problematic way to like introduce um people so I think like part of what I have been part of what I try to do in general with my work is like how do we highlight important people in certain communities how do we show the faces and show the stories um of like a very diverse group in order to, from a young age, help children look up to marginalized people, like people who we are, who society has been oppressing. Like how do we, from a young age, start introducing more figures? So like, so for me, I mean, I I think of like, yeah, how do you, how do you lead from, joy like at least in in introducing people how do you lead from joy and an appreciation of culture like who are people who are Asians that you can highlight um you know and and implement into your lesson like talking about them and their their stories like you know can you bring in Christy Yamaguchi or Grace Lee Boggs or Cecilia Chung like who are the people that you can talk about um and say like these are incredible people we look up to these people like maybe you want to be like them when you grow up, maybe you'll, you know, and like, how do we create that sort of positivity? Um, So it's not just, yeah. So it's not just talking about hate. Um, I mean, that's what I think for my, for the ages that I teach. I mean, I also, like I said, I've made a video addressing anti-Asian hate. So it felt like something that I should talk to students about in a, in a general way for the young, for the youngest ones. Um, But that was also like, that came after I had talked to them about my own culture and my family and talking um, and sharing songs that I learned as a child that are in Chinese. Like, so I think I encourage non-Asian educators and others just to like to learn more about the Asian American community and to be talking to their students and their children about, about those people in a very positive way. 
Yep. Centering on our joy. Yep. Mm. That will be, that's my, my summary. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I know I, that was a really long-winded answer. So thank you. for that. <laughs> That's okay. Well, here I am. I, I'm your spark notes girl, you know, please. Thank you. But yeah, centering on our joy, not thinking that, oh, okay, we're going to talk about these people and we're going to first mention how they have gone through discrimination. It's like, okay, but our oppression isn't our identity. Mm. Um, yes, um, our ancestors have gone through so much. Obviously, we're not going to you know, suffocate that and put it to the side, but that's just, that's not who we are as a people. Like when I think of my Filipino culture, I don't immediately think, oh my goodness, the Spanish and U.S. colonization. That's not the first thing I think of. I think of, well, the first thing I think of is actually my grandma, my Lola. And so I was having a conversation with um, a family member on how I'm the most similar to her on, you know, how she was very musical and she loved to dance and she had a lot of feisty energy. And I'm going, wait a minute, are you describing me or are you describing my grandma? That's what I think of when I think of like my culture. And so when I would see the news of, you know, especially with the Filipino elderly woman that was assaulted in New York, I was just like, that that hit really hard because I thought that could have been my Lola. That could have been my grandma. That, could, that is someone's Lola. That is someone's mom. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I love that you were able to just uh, share your experience. And, you know, one thing that when watching one of your videos, it just put a smile on my face is when you introduced the Chinese song, it was a dumpling song and how that little girl was just so engaged in your classroom. So, oh my goodness, in your lesson, I should say. So what are some of the funniest or your favorite moments that have happened during Zoom teaching? I feel like I have so many. It's honestly hard to choose from because I, I exclusively teach on Zoom right now. I don't have any in-person classes. And at this point, I've probably, I think I've, te I've taught, I mean, well over 500 classes on Zoom at this point. It's just, it's so, so many. I was doing a lot more classes before too. So um, one thing that comes to mind is like, there was one moment where, a child in class said, um, uh, like, I'm, uh, I'm scared. I'm a bit scared. I'm a little bit scared. And I, I had this immediately, like, oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about your feelings. Like, what's going on? And so I was very, like, tenderly asking, like, what are you a little scared about? You know, you're a bit scared. And he looked at me and he's like, no, biscuit. I want a biscuit. And I was like, a biscuit? <laughs> Like, he's like, I want a cookie. I want a biscuit. I was like, oh, I thought he said a bit, a, I thought he said a bit scared. A bit anyway, scared. so like things like, I thought he was saying I'm oh. a bit scared. And and so I, oh, and I was, like, was like, I jumped right in to be like, <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Um, so sometimes just like things like that where the, it just, we miss each other because of whatever is going on with the internet space. Um, and then like, Recently, I, I wrote this song about I am enough and it's a call and response song. And it's always really important for me to make sure that children understand what we're saying and what we're saying. Um, so I don't do too many abstract concepts unless I also explain. So 
you know, I'm saying this phrase, I am enough. And I realize like for the young, the young children that I'm with, like, it's such an abstract concept. So I'm asking, what, what does that mean? I am enough. And in one of my classes, a kid was like, um, it means stop. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, like enough, stop. And I was like, oh, I am stop. I was like, oh, that's true. That is a way that we use the word enough. <laughs> I'm like having to explain what I meant. And then in another class, a kid was saying enough and couldn't quite figure out the word that I was saying. So I was repeating, I was saying enough, enough. Like I've had enough to eat. I've had enough to drink enough. And she was like, oh, so like you don't want any more. Like I am nothing, like n- nothing. And I was like, what? Not I am nothing. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to say. So it like, things like that, where I, then I have to be like, okay, no, what I'm trying to say is that we can be loved exactly as we are. We don't have to change ourselves to be loved. We can love ourselves. Like, that's what I mean by I am enough. And I totally get why they're thinking all these other things. So just, um, having those conversations has been, has just been fun to figure out and, and hear how their brain is sort of like in taking this because they're all you know they're all so smart like there are so many they they under they are taking the word that I'm saying and they are interpreting it based on what they know and so like they're doing the right thing and I'm just trying to be like wait this is another way we can understand this concept or this word um those are like those are the two sort of funny things that come to mind and then just one more sweet thing was uh, sometimes I, I worry about the socialization aspect of just being on Zoom and them not having the same type of freedom to like talk to just one child. You know, you have to talk to the whole class or you're talking to me. Um, but in this one after school program that I run classes for, <laughs> um, I really encourage children to share any sort of musical expression that they want. So if they make up a song on the spot or if they have an instrument and they want to play for our group they can and so um this one this one little girl was like I want to sing a song she's like okay so she sang the song for us and afterwards um another student was like I really like your voice it was really nice to hear you sing which was so like I was I was even surprised that she like took ownership of the space in order to like acknowledge that and and respond to it and then the 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 one who had been singing was like thank you so much I've never had somebody say that to me before and I was like just like being able to witness this happen in this space and for them to have that type of exchange even though we were you know virtual was such a such a special thing yeah to witness that validation uh, especially I don't want to say musical gifts because then it implies Mm. that being musical is something that's just given to you or you have to work at it. But acknowledging that everybody is musical and also like what you said, seeing someone be told for the first time that they are musical and that they can carry a tune or play an instrument or just be musical. Um, And it really redefines what being a music maker is not someone who's had five years of training or has done a bunch of gigs but just anybody who's willing to just take part in music and participate in it yeah it It makes me even think there was you know sometimes we put so much focus especially on like music education in the west is like making sure you play it right or correct or like all the notes are 
that are on the sheet are being played. Um, and there's a seven-year-old who is in my after-school program and she just started playing the piano and she's like, can I play a song? And I was like, sure. And she, she was playing happy birthday and like midway in the song, like got onto the, in my mind, like the incorrect notes for, for where she was, what she was playing. And it was like a totally different melody. Um, and I was just listening to her play and I wasn't making any different facial expression, anything. And when she was done, I was like, I was like, thank you for sharing. I was like, how did that feel? And she's like, it felt amazing. I love getting to play in front of other people. I feel so proud of myself. And I was like, that's great. Like, that's really, that's so special. Yeah, to get rid of the whole, like, I have to be perfect in order to perform, which I feel like some music teaching spheres emphasize that like oh you're not ready to play this in front of people mm-hmm. because you know you keep making mistakes and I admit that as a private piano teacher I kind of got sucked into that mindset too because well the the environment that um, some of those teaching um, teaching spaces are um, are focused on perfectionism but just to hear that just the fact that she just wanted to play in front and had no fear in playing whatever melody and like that's actually what we want all students mm. to feel to feel proud of themselves um, in front of other people so yeah um, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us Katie but we're curious we, we know you've been teaching a lot of music classes virtually, but is there anything that's next for you in 2021 and beyond? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because it's one of those things where I don't technically have a, like, I don't have a contract or an agreement for anything, but I feel I'm like so passionate about my work and I care so much about what I'm doing that I feel like I already can confidently be like, yes, my next step or one of my next steps is like, I will have a show for sure. Whether I self-produce it or whether I get a grant or whether I get connected, like that is for sure something that I, that is in my future. So like 22 minute episodes um, infusing you like a very Mr. Rogers-esque type of a show writing original music and talking on theme about certain concepts. So like, that's something I'm working towards right now and trying to script out what an episode would be like. Um, I have yet to record an EP. So that is something I'm trying to do in the next few months. Um, And yeah, and I'm, I'm currently trying to write a, a children's book. So a lot of like creative production because I I, and and maybe I didn't make this super clear up top I I have been teaching a lot of classes and I absolutely love being a teacher Um, but I definitely consider myself to be more of like a teaching artist like someone who has entered into the teaching world more as a performer that has like then learned tools around education Um, but not someone who came from a traditional teaching background and then moved into this space. So I have a very non-traditional kind of experience. Um, so I, I want to keep teaching, but I am very interested in, in creating ongoing accessible content for children. Well, I'm excited for all these projects. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Katie, we are so thankful that you have 
taking the time to just spend time with Darlene and I. And um, so as we are closing up, is there anything else that you would like to share a quote or a call to action? Hmm. Yeah, I think something that I have just been thinking a lot about is just the idea that nothing is a truly neutral space. And so that's something that has really informed my how I, you know, think about my classroom, how I think about my work in general is like, sometimes we approach, say a classroom and we're like, oh, um, it's a blank canvas and I choose how to fill it. But actually like the way we set up the desks, the way, like who talks in, um, in the class, uh, how we get feedback, how we exchange ideas, like all of that is based on, you know, your culture, your biases, all of these things. So like keeping that in mind, how can we just be more intentional and more cognizant of the space that we create and how we're interacting with it? So I think about that for my classes and I think about that for um, my own work and, and my ongoing work. Uh, and so, I mean, that's something I would leave with everyone listening here too, is knowing that nothing is really a neutral space. How are you using it? I love it. Well, thank you again, Katie. It's glad talking to you. It was so nice talking to you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Coloring the Melody. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to connect, please feel free to email us at coloringthemelodypodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram at Coloring the Melody Podcast. This is Darlene. And this is Nora. And we challenge you to think about how you can color your your melody. melody.